Good morning, and welcome to episode 361 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I am Ben Lindbergh with Sam Miller, as always. Uh, Hall of Fame election day is over. Hall of Fame election season is over, and we're we're not entirely sorry to see it go. Uh, but before we we put these debates to rest for another year or so, uh, we wanted to do one more show on this topic and do a little postmortem on the election day results. And to do that, uh, we brought on the man who is has made himself uh, one of the more prominent voices of reason in the, the Hall of Fame debate and discussion. Uh, so we are joined by SI.com's Jay Jaffe. And I was going to say his traditional election night bottle of arrogant bastard ale. But apparently, if I'm reading Twitter right, that is not the case. Uh, it's it's just about the case. They did. I usually get a 22-ounce uh, bottle of the arrogant bastard ale by Stone uh, Brewery out in the uh, uh, San Diego. This is the oaked arrogant bastard ale. It's a ah. it's a slight variation. Um, I, I don't normally uh, do the oaked, but uh, it was what was available, and it's still an arrogant bastard. And <laughs> I'm sure somewhere I've been accused of being an arrogant bastard several times in the last uh, five or six weeks. So I will, uh, you know, take this as the um, as the beer of choice for tonight. I do also have something called the Stone Sublimely Self-Righteous uh, IPA uh, <laughs> waiting for me. So I will, I will, I will move to that after after I'm done with this one. All right. Well, you should you should distribute those to some of the voters. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, so, well, I wish we could say that this is an exclusive interview, but this is about the farthest thing from an exclusive <laughs> interview because you have done probably more interviews than anyone in America over the last few weeks on this topic. Um, And maybe this is, is this your last hurdle to clear until you can, until you can. It's my last, it's my last media appearance of, of, of the day. Uh, I'm going to have a couple uh, more uh, hall related things at uh, uh, the strike zone on SI.com. One looking ahead at next year and the other looking uh, a few more years into the future about uh, how the elections could go. Uh, But the pressure is kind of off now. Um, and this is this is it's this is a nice last stop to have on the on the, on the uh, uh, media tour here. <laughs> um, okay, so we can stop speculating and looking at ballot collecting gizmos now. We know what happened. Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and Frank Thomas are in on their first ballots. Uh, Craig Biccio is barely not in, and many other deserving candidates uh, were further away from from induction than. Then Biggio. Uh, but I guess before we start nitpicking and complaining about the process, which we probably will, I thought we should begin by accentuating the, the positives because there there were some some good things that happened today. So what what are the, the positive takeaways for you? OK, the, the positives are that, you know, on a ballot that was uh, easily the most accomplished uh, of, of any, uh, at least since the uh, BBWAA went back to voting on an annual basis in 1966. Uh, we got three players in. Uh, this is the first time since 1999 we've had three players go in uh, in the same year. Uh, three first ballot players at that. So that's that that's great. And you know, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Frank Thomas, all like slammed on first ballot Hall of Famers, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Um, guys that I that I certainly enjoyed watching myself. Um, you know, and uh, guys who I think a lot of us uh, enjoyed watching. So I'm 
you know, I'm elated for them. Uh, I'm relieved that we've cleared a bit of backlog or that we've avoided a bit of, of a bit more extra backlog. <laughs> right. The three guys getting in is as many as we as as the BBWA had voted in in the previous three cycles combined. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the good news. Mm-hmm. So that's the the positive spin. I, I guess you could also then point out that the number of deserving candidates that were on this ballot was higher than than probably any since maybe the first one. So yep. uh, from that Absolutely. perspective, you would perhaps like to see more than ever inducted. I, or... would, have, I would have loved to see five. Uh, I would have loved to see 10. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I thought there was I thought even as late as a couple of days ago that we maybe had at least a five percent chance of getting five mm-hmm. uh, based on the, the gizmo. Uh, at Baseball Think Factory, the the job that uh, uh, they've done over there, tracking the ballots and, and stuff like that. Um, Biggio was polling above 80% uh, up to a certain point, and uh, I guess it was Monday when the when when tons of ballots started rolling in, and then uh, uh, and Piazza was uh, I think in the low 70s um, uh, before he fell down, and and uh, he ended up about 62%. So you know. I mean, it's maddening that Biggio missed by two votes. Uh, we can we can all point to uh, individual ballots that were just absolutely horseshit. Um, you know, defenseless, I mean, indefensible processes. Uh, Murray Chass, Howard Bryant, um, Ken Gurnick, Mr. Blank ballot, uh, anonymous blank ballot. Um, those are just some of them. Uh, any if any two of those ballots don't even make it to the make it to the BBWAA post office box, um, Craig Beasley is in the Hall of Fame today. Yeah, it, it seems like there, there are several things that you could blame for Biggio being in, even without pointing to specific people, which which you can certainly do, uh, but just process-wise, um, the fact that, that there's the 10-player limit, the fact that ballots don't have to be public, probably each of those things could have contributed to that and i don't know that it's it's a tragedy because he'll get in right um but probably i mean possibly as soon as next year even though there are some more qualified candidates coming on but um is there is there i don't know is there one specific thing that you blame for that over all the others or could we just equally i don't blame think any i don't think things? i i don't think there's a single thing to blame for it I, certainly the fact that murray chass is you know believes and is not shy about sharing his belief that Biggio uh, may have used PEDs uh, isn't helping him. Um, but, you know, Murray Chass is widely viewed as a crackpot, even by uh, members in good standing of the BBWAA. Um, those who generally couch their criticism very carefully uh, are more than willing to unload on, on him, both in public and in private. And so I feel no, no remorse towards, uh, 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 joining that little parade, um, <laughs> it doesn't maybe not maybe one of my less redeeming features about about my coverage. But uh, uh, you know, you're asking me at the end of a 26 mile race here what how how I feel about him, and it ain't good. Um, no, I think, but I, I think other than that, you know, the huge crowd uh, of first ball, of of first year strong first year candidates has has hurt Biggio both this last year and this year, and it will again next year. Uh, it's going to make it another photo finish. I mean, I think obviously he probably finds the two votes, um, but uh, it's still just you know for a guy to have to put his life on hold for a year, 
it's a whole lot of stuff that happens when you get into the Hall of Fame, a whole lot of uh, uh, positive publicity that comes your way. I don't know if his parents or has, has relatives that are still living that have to, you know, make it through, you know, they have to hope they make it through another year. I mean, that, that, that boy, that would really suck if, if, if they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, I just think that there's a, there's a real human cost to making these, making these guys wait. And one of the, one of the changes that I, I am most in favor of is, uh, not uh, necessarily expanding the ten the ten vote rule, uh, although I think that's that's a very good place to start. I would lower the the, the necessary percentage. Once you get to fifty percent, everything else is just meaningless bureaucracy. It's voters who suddenly become more self you know more important than the process itself. It's like uh, the last guy who holds onto a parcel of land. Um, you know, that's been divided up and they're going to make some new construction there. The, the last, if you, if you can be the last holdout, you're going to reap a significantly higher profit. Um, that's what the, the Murray Chasses of the world are doing in some ways is they're, they're making themselves more important in this process than they really are. Do you think that there should be any recourse toward, toward removing an individual's ability to vote? Because you, you see that a lot when someone puts out a particularly egregious ballot. Oh, he should be stripped of his vote. He's not taking it seriously. But it's sort of a, a slippery line between, you know, misusing the privilege and just voting in a way that, that we disagree with. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do want to be careful there. Um, I think that uh, I think that the blank ballot brigade, of which there was only one this year, I think you can you can kick them out. Uh-huh. kick them to the curb ASAP. I have no sympathy or patience for them. Um, Ken Gurnick, you know, I didn't like what he did. I, I understand his reasoning, but it's so hopelessly flawed. The fact that he's decided to voluntarily give up his vote, um, you know, fine. What, you know, that's, that, that's, I think that's, that's the more preferable route. I mean, if you, you know, rather see people surrendering or surrendering it voluntarily. Beyond that, I mean, I don't think you can just, you know, decide somebody's a cra- you know a cranky voter and, and take it away. But I think you can decide that, uh, you know, unless you're still covering baseball or, you know, or or whatever. Um, I mean, and Murray Chess, for example, you can't you're not going to take him away because he's a spink winner. Um, that that ballot's going to his grave with him, um, whether he promises to give it up, give up the voting or not. Um, you know, I think that that. Uh, for the most part, I would like to see the BBWA take a take a take on uh, an audit of uh, who's voting because I think there are retired sports editors uh, on the rolls who don't really have uh, uh, much connection to baseball um, that I think should be you know we they should consider taking it. But you know I've read you know, the, the I'm, I'm a member of the BBWA. I'm seven years away from a vote. I've read the bulletin boards. Uh, there was a you know, the internal bulletin boards uh, for the organization. There's, you know, there are some, there are uh, women in the organization who fought tooth and nail to get into the BBWAA, to get mm-hmm. locker room access, um, whose stories resonate with me. To take their votes away after that hard one, you know, 10 years of ten years of, of, of consecutive service and, and whatever else they did, you know, to get to that point. I, you know, as somebody who is an outside, who is an outsider who's been allowed in himself through the, you know, baseball prospectus getting into the BBWAA, um, you know, decidedly a, a something of a, a of a uh, unique situation when it when it came about a few years ago, uh, with with you know non-print publications getting access. I'm not sure that I'm the one in the position to be telling, be saying who should be in and who should be out. I'm mm-hmm. I will leave that to the rank and file. Um, 
you know, I, I the research that I've done uh, on, you know, the voting patterns or whatever is something that, that, that uh, I think will, you know, maybe um, be part of this process to look at the 10 man ballot. Um, but uh, there's other, there, you know, there's, there are uh, the, vo- the voting, who gets to vote is a more sensitive issue. And I think there's, there's, um, uh, that's probably for somebody besides me to, to address. Mm-hmm. Jay, has the, has the, uh, has the voter pool changed over the years? Is, has it, have, have the requirements for voting been changed? Have the, I mean, certainly the numbers have because uh, the number of media outlets have, but have the rules become more liberalized to allow more people? Have they, have, has there ever been a purge? Has there ever been really any, uh, focused attempt at I, uh, redefining who votes. I don't have a great handle. I mean, the the Baseball Writers Association, the Hall of Fame, put the Baseball Writers Association uh, in charge of 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 the of the ballot for the more contemporary players back in 1936, and that has never changed. It used to be that all those all those uh, you know those uh, voters came from you know daily newspapers or whatever and. I think uh, you know some other other outlets have been added. Uh, weeklies, wire services. You've got editors in there. You've got cartoonists in there. Even um, you know back when that was a, a thing uh, that 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 mattered to people and that helped sell papers. Um, you know the the past decade has seen the admission of uh, people from non-print publications, from online outlets like Baseball Prospectus and Fangraphs and. Uh, <coughs> And a few other entities um, that have become part of it. I think that's that's a big change. Um, and there's you know there's uh, there's certainly some sentiment within the organization that has gotten away from its key mission, uh, which is uh, to just to guarantee access to working writers. Uh, the, the other perks that come with it uh, aren't as you know like vote, being able to vote uh, for awards. Uh, you know aren't necessarily those shouldn't be central aims. Access is the central aim, and that that uh, uh, you know some people feel that that uh, uh, you know some of the new some of the new breed uh, aren't doing it for the access purposes. So uh, there's been obviously uh, a lot of suggestions for how to make sure that the votes are kind of representative and respectful of the game, and keep the consistency of the Hall of Fame going and all that. And one of the central parts of this is that. Um, it seems like what we all want is for the Hall of Fame standards to be relatively consistent, that um, that's kind of what the, the basis of JAWS, your, your system is. Yes. It's basically figuring out what the Hall of Fame standard is and making sure that, um, you know, it stays more or less around there, that it doesn't get radically changed upwards or, or downwards. Um, and so, you know, anytime I see a suggestion for how to fix it, I wonder, well, is this likely to raise or lower the standards? And then I realized today I don't actually know. Does the uh, if you if we look historically, does the standard actually change much from um, you know from decade to decade? If you had done your Jaws scores in the '60s or the '70s or the '80s or the '90s, would it have changed much? Or is the last three four years really the first significant blip uh, in the Hall of Fame's voting standards? You know, I think it has changed. Um, to to characterize it simply, I'm I'm not sure I could do that with with much efficiency. Um, but I have been gathering data uh, and looking at uh, you know who was voted in. I think I did I did, was doing a tally of uh, uh, the number of players on a given ballot that exceeded the jaws uh, the the jaws average of that position, just very strict. And it's it's 
only there have only been uh, there was a period in the I, I didn't I only went back to sixty six, but there was a period from uh, nineteen eighty nine to nineteen ninety seven where it was about eight to twelve per year. Um, now we're up to seventeen, but that was the only other time that 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 uh, time span that we that uh, they went into double digits. That was a, an era that guys like Carl Yastrzemski, Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Rod Carew, Jim Palmer, the seventies guys. Basically, the stars from the seventies, from the from the mid sixties uh, into the seventies got in. But when you go back further, you look at um, the guys who were getting in from whose careers were you know from the late fifties and the sixties. You find that there weren't they weren't all like slam dunks. I mean, we think of guys like Don Drysdale as Hall of Famers, but they you know they they're kind of below the standard uh, relative to where it's at now. Um, in part because those those workhorses from the seventies kind of raised it. I've never tried to actually kind of retroactively engineer uh, what a Jaws standard would look like if you say started in. I mean, you can't obviously can't you know sample size purposes. You can't start with 1936 and say these guys don't measure up to Babe Ruth. Screw them. <laughs> um, but you can maybe you can maybe start uh, you know and then you know, you've got the, the the veterans committees that kind of break the system down um, with some very loose admissions. Uh, uh, in the 40s and 50s, um, you know, if I was going to do it, I think I would start again. Go back to the, the single, the the annual voting in 1966, which you know, the, the basically the modern era of voting, uh, and look at it that way. Um, I think it would be interesting to see where the standards go. I suspect we would see them rise over time, um, but uh, I, I don't know that that it would be uniform uh, across all positions, and, and we might be in for some surprises. I was also going to to go back to the the 10 player limit. You mentioned something in your your latest your uh, your post results wrap up for SI that 50% of voters had used all 10 slots on their ballot, which was up from 22% last year. Yes. Um, which is a, a big increase in the I've been It's probably it's probably a record. I didn't see confirmation that it is, but I'm uh-huh. almost certain that it would be um at least in the at least in the modern era mm-hmm. and uh um you know, we'll get some confirmation on that. And 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 I've been following the the debate on the the BBWA message boards also, and it there have been quite a few people coming out in favor of removing the limit, and it seemed like no one no one really opposing it. Some people more lukewarm on it than others, but uh, the argument for keeping it basically is is just sort of that you know it will lead to too many players being voted for, which seems sort of. Seems sort of silly if you're trusting the writers to know what a Hall of Famer is, then you should probably also yes. trust them not to and, vote. And not, and not only not only that, but when you look at the levels of historical representation in the Hall of Fame, the past 40 years, 45 years, going back to 1969, is vastly underrepresented relative to previous decades. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dave Cameron did, did something at Fangraphs uh, in mid-December um, where he showed that I think it was um, where previous eras had something like 2.4% of all players wound up in the Hall of Fame. It's now, you know, down to 1.2% for the for players born in the 1951 uh, to 60 era and 0.1% for the 61 to 70 uh, decade. Uh, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin just doubled the number of players born in that time span who are in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Frank Thomas, too. So we, we've now got five where we had two. Mm-hmm. Um, but vastly underrepresented the last uh the last 30 or so years of baseball 
um, you know, in, in terms of in terms of Hall of Fame representation. And I think that's got to change. And, you know, those there there aren't even enough candidates on the ballot if you were to go simply by that standard. Um, you know, the size of the major leagues has, has more than doubled uh, over the last 50 years and or almost doubled in the last 50 years. And, and uh, that's part of, that's part of the issue that voters are clinging to some for some some voters are clinging to even more stringent standards in the face of that, which, you know, is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And and the, the 10 player limit just it seems to me like it's sort of the, the low hanging fruit here, because as you mentioned, the, the lifetime vote is is tricky Stripping individual votes is tricky. Having some sort of standards for PD guys is is very tricky. Uh, but removing the ten player ballot seems like a, a pretty simple step. And I, and I remember having similar internal debates last year on those message boards about that, and nothing was changed then. Um, but it seems like maybe there's more momentum toward that now. There is some sort of committee studying there is, the issue. There is, there, is a com- there is a committee, and in the interest of full disclosure, I can say that I'm actually on that committee. Uh-huh. Um, I, can't, I don't want to say anything more than that. Uh, I, I've been encouraged to keep very quiet on this, so I will okay. mm-hmm. uh, be on that. But except to say that it's pretty cool that I got onto that as somebody, as somebody who doesn't have a vote. Um, you know, it's on the strength of the work that I've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not going to complain about that. Um, the ten, the, but the ten, the ten player rule is is I think a a fairly benign one to address relative to the history of the Hall of Fame. It, there there is no good reason for it being there. We've had a lot of prominent voices step forward during ballot season to to speak up. I mean, you know, some of the biggest names in the industry have have, have come out in favor of expanding it. I think based on that momentum, more than any number crunching that I do. Or anybody else on this committee does. Um, I think that that is uh, uh, what's going to be um, turning uh, the tide. And uh, you know, if fifty percent of the electorate is saying, you know, that that boy, there's pl- there's definitely ten here, and we can definitely see next year's going to be, you know, we're going to need all ten slots too. I think that there's maybe uh, a good chance that 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 we do have some movement on that. Mm-hmm. Can I, uh, I want to go back just to something that you mentioned, because I um, have been trying to figure out whether I think this or not. Um, you mentioned that, you know, this this generation is underrepresented by population, that a smaller percentage of the population is, is making the Hall of Fame. A smaller percentage of the playing population is making mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame. And partly that's because nobody gets elected anymore, and that's a weird thing, and that needs to be, you know, addressed. But partly it's also because... Um, you know, a lot more people are playing. There's twice as many teams as there was at some point. And I've, uh, do you do you think that it's appropriate that if there are twice as many teams, there should be twice as many Hall of Famers? I've been going back and forth on that in my head. I don't that. know that necessarily needs to be twice as many because yeah, we've probably got some. But even when you look at just the BBWAA elected guys, the higher the the top, let's just call them the top shelf guys, even though they're guys you know who slipped through the cracks and who are for very worthy. Uh, BC admissions like Johnny Mize and Archie Vaughn, um, to say nothing of the 19th century guys who never had a BBWAA path into the Hall of Fame. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be need to be um, you know twice as many going in, but it shouldn't be uh, you know it shouldn't be one tenth of what of the of the previous generation, which is what it is right now. Even after you account for the extra number of middle relievers uh, that have come into the game that are kind of you know, the, the 26th, 27th, and 28th guys on the ball club who are sort of cycled through the roster uh, willy-nilly. Um, 
even once you adjust for that, uh, Dave, again, going back to Dave Cameron's work, uh, some very good stuff there showing that the, that the 1961 to 1970 demographic was uh, represented at one-tenth of the frequency of uh, the previous decade. Uh, let me ask you the, you know, I always wonder whether the, the sort of the mudslinging that goes on on both sides of the debate leads to, to anything productive. It's, it's, it's very, it's an antagonistic relationship. It's also sort of a symbiotic relationship and then it leads to lots and lots of traffic for both sides because people go and read the takedowns of someone's terrible ballot and then they go read that terrible ballot and everyone benefits in a way from that. But, um, do you think that, you know, calling out certain voters makes it less likely for that voting behavior to be repeated in the future? Or does it encourage it or does it have no effect? Because it, you it know, seems like a, in certain that, cases. That's a good question. It probably entrenches positions more than, right. as, as much as it as much as it deters behavior. I mean, I think greater transparency, I think, is a deterrent from, let's just call it these these aberrations. Um, and what's interesting is what you see, um, uh, what you see with the way that that the voting percentages for certain guys drop precipitously uh, from uh, what's reported uh, in the ballot gizmo, the publicly published ballots, um, versus what and what the final results are. Uh, you've got a lot of people, you know, you've got uh, you know a vast majority of the electorate that doesn't. Uh, justify its ballot that doesn't have to write a thousand words in defense or 3,000 words per candidate in defense um, as, as I am prone to do uh, you know who who aren't willing to vote for um, you know guys with PED relate you know PED connections or but also sabermetric guys I saw that that uh, there's a the piece on the on uh, on the um, the VP site today uh, Louis, forget Paulus, the name. Paulus, yeah. yeah, and I just I was skimming it because I haven't had a chance to read too much today, but I saw that he had done a correlation uh, between the between the the, the margin uh, and the Jaws score, and it's like a 0.6 correlation. That's mm -hmm. pretty big, you know. That's like um, so when it explains like you know the older voters, the less sabermetrically savvy ones, aren't voting for Tim Raines uh, or Edgar Martinez or whatever. Whereas the guys who are you know putting their ballots out there publicly. And maybe reading my work and other people like me, uh, you know, are more likely to do it. So, uh, you know, I, I, getting back to the, the mudslinging stuff, though, I, I, you know, I certainly as somebody who's been doing this now for 13 years and, and for for 11 cycles uh, since my first uh, BP article, um, which was 10 years and, and two days ago as of today, Election Day, 10 years, three days by the time uh, you folks hear this, um, I've certainly had to curb my own mudslinging as I've, as I've gained, uh, a, a more prominent pulpit in this. And then really the only, I think the only ballots that I commented on in specific were those really off the, off the reservation ones, like the, the, the Chass and, and, and Bryant and, and Gurnick. And, um, there are so many acceptable answers when you've got 14 good, good guys in the ballot and, and, uh, um, you know, only 10 spots. And, how much do you really want to complain when Jack Morris is taking up one of those spots if the guy, if the voter has Tim Raines and Edgar Martinez, two candidates that I've stumped for, uh, you know, put a lot of energy into? So I, I think it, 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 in the end, it's probably, you know, I would love to see a 
the discourse raised, uh, maybe a little bit less mudslinging. I think that both sides have a tendency to be to be strident. Um, it's something I tried to curb for myself, and it seems to have helped uh, uh, in terms of the level of acceptance that my work has received. So, you know, take take that as a lesson, folks. Uh, um, it, it it does work. Uh, you will catch more more flies with uh, uh, honey than with whatever you know whatever else you're using. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and and spe- anyway, speaking of, of some of today's mudslinging, Sam and I talked a bit about the, the deadspin gambit when it was first proposed. Uh, do you have any thoughts on it now that we know how it worked out? I am, I, I am, I was never totally comfortable with the idea that, mm-hmm. that, a, that a voter would sell, would sell their ballot. Um, having read uh, Dan Lebitard's stuff in the past, is that how you say his name? I'm not even sure. I think so. Um, and you know, having read his work in the past and familiar with it, I've not always agreed with him. I do remember something he wrote about Barry Bonds and uh, the death of Barry Bonds' father, Bobby Bonds, that really struck a nerve with me uh, at a time when I was reading Boys of Summer. This is like maybe ten years ago that I just thought was, was just a fantastic piece. Um, so you know, I've always had uh, at least some respect for him. I thought his his explanation uh, for why he did what he did, I thought was about as spot on as as anybody who was on his side could have hoped for. Um, I still doesn't entirely sit well with me uh, what's going on there, but you know, if, if he's, he seems to have done it for the right reasons. And, and I certainly hope that there's, you know, that there's, there's certainly room for change. And I certainly hope that, that what he has done uh, is something that maybe helps a little bit uh, towards that change. So obviously to have uh, this be an honor, we have to have high standards. To have high standards, we have to keep some people out of it. And so, you know, that it's totally justified to point out that Jack Morris was not deserving. But I think you'll agree that it's much more fun to be arguing vehemently in favor of a player than against one. Is is that a fair Um, way to describe it? Most definitely. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel a, 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 a certain amount of sadness today about, you know, regarding Jack Morris that he didn't get in. It was pretty clear uh, through most of the cycle that he wasn't going to get in. I really enjoyed watching Jack Morris pitched. I remember his no hitter in 1984. I watched that on NBC Game of the Week. Um, it was the second no hitter I'd ever seen start to finish. Uh, I remember the 84 World Series. I remember the 91 World Series very vividly. That 10-inning shutout, um, you know, still stands out in my mind. I can see myself watching it. Uh, to spend 13 years, as I've done, you know, arguing against Morris's credentials and, you know, with an increasingly louder voice and more prominence, it doesn't give me... I don't, I'm not filled with joy that he didn't get in. I, 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 you know, I feel like in a way there was a certain backlash there that, that his hopes were built up by that backlash to the, you know, specifically to the Burt Blylevin uh, progression towards the hall. Um, and, you know, that, that uh, I mean, Morris was kind of looked like a middle of the road candidate for a good long time and, and one who didn't look like he was going to make it. And for him to have gotten so close and not gotten in and to have fallen back uh, from, you know, two years ago when he had uh, 66.7%, it looked, you know, under normal circumstances, that's a guy who's going to go over the top, you know, probably in one year, possibly in two. Um, to not get there, I can, I'm, I'm certain he feels, you know, 
pretty miserable about it and, and I can sympathize and, and, you know, for the part that I played in that, you know, it, it certainly wasn't personal. Um, I do expect that he will get in via the veterans committee, um, a process that, uh, none of us has any control over. Um, it's basically Tommy was sort of yelling at 15 other people in a room <laughs> um, for, or, 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 or that's how I imagined it. At least. Um, so, you know, I, and whatever, God bless him. If, if, if that's, if that's how he gets in, um, you know, I don't wish him any ill. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's going to be any candidates for a while that you're going to have to really argue too strenu- strenuously against. It's it, certainly the, the argument is, is going to be in, uh, tilted in favor of pro arguments for a while. It seems like Lee Smith is probably the closest thing and he's not really all that close. So until maybe Omar Vizquel gets up, it doesn't seem like there's a, I a think, real oh, difficult yeah, no. I, I'm I'm already internet famous for my opposition to Omar Vizquel. I get I get international death threats on that one. Um, that's probably that, that's probably a bit of an exaggeration, but man, you know I, I if I if I want to if I want to stir something up on Twitter, I can just start on Omar Vizquel. Um, and I do feel again, there's a guy who I think was very good, but the numbers do not support uh, him being a Hall of Famer, and and uh, we'll get to that in in due time. Um, but, uh, I, I, I once, I once read, made the mistake of reading a, a comment section on something that you wrote about Omar yeah, Vizquel. The Omar, the Omar <laughs> we switched, SI switched comment systems after, after that. And so those, those are lost to the ether. Um, <laughs> and I wish, I, I kind of wish somebody had saved those because that was kind of the all time collection of, <laughs> of, of email. Um, and boy, howdy. I, you know, that, yes, that will, that will, that will kind of suck to be advocate to be you know arguing against a guy uh who had a you know very nice career um but who and who a lot of people want to believe was the second coming of ozzy smith but who couldn't carry ozzy's jock when it came to hitting um once you adjust for era um that's that's one of the big problems there so um but yes sam's right i don't think that there we're going to see too many other guys for a while where um you got to really dig in your heels and argue against them, uh, unless you're talking about uh, the PED issue, in which case I think the the voters have spoken fairly definitively with regards to Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Rafael Palmeiro, who fell off the ballot today and is out of the discussion until 2026, by my calculations. Um, you know, it's the, it's Bonds and Clemens that people are going to be arguing over. I'm pro putting them in. I think they should have gotten in last year. I can understand why voters didn't put them in last year. I think that they're just going to, um, it calls more attention to them to leave them on the ballot than it does to put them in the Hall of Fame, frankly. Um, you know, we're going to keep talking about them every year for the next 13 years. Uh, it's like Alex Rodriguez. We're going to be stuck with Alex Rodriguez for the next 25 years. Um, <laughs> you know, between the contract and, and, and the Hall of Fame vote or whatever. Um, unless he gets, unless he goes the the Palmero route pretty quickly, um, he's going to be talked about for a good long time. You mentioned the Veterans Committee and Jack Morris. I have to admit, I can never keep straight where the Veterans Committee is. Uh, most recently, I was under the impression that they don't elect anybody, uh, any players. Yeah, uh, for the most it's, part, it's almost like that. Basically, the Veterans Committee, as of 2010, split into three separate Veterans Committees because who doesn't love more committees? Um, there's, they're now, uh, separated chronologically. There's the, the pre-integration era, um, 
you know, prior, essentially prior to Jackie Robinson, there's the golden era, which is, uh, for some reason, uh, cut off from 1947 to 1973. And then there's the expansion era, which starts at 1973. And there was no expansion in 1973. Uh, we had the designated hitter rule come in. So it's like, were you talking about that? Um, you know, and so, so far we've had one cycle through of each, uh, the Golden Era Committee went first. They elected Ron Santo. They did it one year after he died. Good job, good effort, guys. You've totally fucking failed. Um, you know, then the then the uh, the the, the pre integration era, uh, they elected Deacon White and uh, two non players. Um, fine, you know, that's these guys, but nobody who was at the Hall of Fame uh, induction was uh, uh, had had been uh, alive for like 75 years or something like that. Um, this time around, the expansion era committee, uh, three people, the three people they they evaluated, all managers. Um, you know, none of the players got in. Uh, I thought that, that that Ted Simmons in particular had a very good case. Uh, he's he's uh, right around the line on Jaws. Um, certainly a, a travesty when it came to voting uh, one and done uh, on the uh, BBWAA ballot back when he was eligible in their, I think ninety four. Um, so yeah, there's not a lot of guys going in uh, on the uh, veterans committee ballots by any stretch, um, and uh, I don't expect that to change anytime soon. Uh, but I do think that uh, uh, Jack Morris is somebody who they'll take a long look at. Um, I'd like to believe that that Lou Whitaker, when he comes eligible in 2017, uh, and Alan Trammell, who will probably be in that system by 2017 as well, um, that those guys will get a much longer look than the average. Uh, uh, BC guy, and I would gladly trade Jack Morris in the Hall of Fame if it meant uh, Trammell and Whitaker could get in, because those guys do measure up. Okay, uh, you are you are almost free of us. My my second to last question would be: uh, if you you look at the election results from today, the voting results from today, where do you think the biggest disconnect is on an individual case between current percentage and where that percentage should be? Um, hang on here. Let me make sure I've got the got the votes in front of me here before I before I uh, mm-hmm. before I say that. The biggest disconnect between oh, I don't I thought I had it. I don't have it. Uh, BB, BBWA website is actually working these days. So uh, oh good. Let's see. Yeah, okay, you can put it on. there. Yeah, it took me until two fifty six p.m. Fifty six <laughs> minutes after the vote was announced for to uh, uh, to get onto that site, which was the mm-hmm. only place that I could find actual totals. Uh, mm-hmm. MLB didn't have them up. ESPN didn't have them up. SI didn't have them up. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Okay, so let's see here. Uh, the biggest disconnect between between what where where they're polling. I think actually, I would say Kurt Schilling and and Mike Messina. Uh-huh. Um, Kurt Schilling is the big game pitcher uh, that that voters thought they were getting with Jack Morris. I mean, eleven and two with a ERA in the low twos in the postseason. Um, you know, the bloody sock game, uh, the beating the Yankees in the World Series with you know with, with the Diamondbacks. Um, some great postseason moments there. Great regular season, best strikeout to walk ratio. He got twenty nine percent of the vote. Um, you know, I don't think anybody thought he was going to be a first ballot hall of famer but i think that he is definitely 
somebody who belongs in Cooperstown. I feel the same way about Mike Messina, who got 20% of the vote in his first year, which was better than uh, uh, Bill Dean's initial projection for him, which was about 7%, um, and caused a lot of us to worry that he was going to, you know, in danger of falling off the ballot. Um, he's he ranks two notches ahead of Tom Glavin, 28th all time mm-hmm. uh, in uh, uh, in Jaws. Uh, Schilling, I believe, is 27th. Glavin is 30th. All three of them are above the above the standard. Um, you know, I think that you know that Glavin got in uh, with 92% of the vote, um, and those two guys don't even add up to 50% of the vote. I think that's that's the big disconnect for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And and last thing. Uh, does the thought of forecasting anything for 2015 make you physically ill right now, or would you? Uh, uh, it's, it's part of the job. I mean, I'll, I think I, I think that that Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez are locks. Uh-huh. Um, I'm less sure about John Smoltz, um, just because his career has that is sort of the Eckersley type hybrid. He was a better starter than Eckersley. He wasn't as closer as, as long. He has the postseason excellence. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of good starting pitches on that ballot. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure whether he gets in. I do think Craig Biggio gets in. Uh, it would take a class of four to, to fit all those guys, uh, which would be the largest since 1955. Um, you know, I'd like to believe that's possible. Um, I'll, as somebody who, who is, uh, you know, tries to remain optimistic in the face of, 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 of uh, uh, things in, in this department, I will, uh, guess that that's what what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be very surprised if Gary Sheffield doesn't wind up uh, another first first year candidate doesn't wind up with a you know something in the low twenties. I think he's going to have a hard time, mm-hmm. uh, not only in the crowd but also, you know, with the tangential uh, the PED connection to Barry Bonds circa Balco and people are going to bring up the oh he made intentional errors on purpose. Uh, even though when I investigated that back when he was with the Yankees, I found those uh, those uh, um, anecdotes did not necessarily uh, jibe with the box scores. Uh, mm-hmm. So I will have some fun with that when that comes about, uh, because Gary Sheffield was one of my absolute favorite players to watch mm-hmm. uh, for as much a pain in the ass as he was. Um, and boy, he was. <laughs> boy, he was. More so in the Dodger days than within his Yankees days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, there there aren't. I mean, if if you you know if there was an eBay site where you could bid to watch players hit, I mean, I think I would probably max, be most likely to max out on Edgar Martinez and Gary Sheffield. Uh-huh. I think those are two guys I, I I could watch them swing the bat all freaking day long. Yeah, and Messina would be up there for me as a pitcher. Also, I really enjoyed watching him pitch. Oh, Messina, the thing I never, you know, one thing I never brought up with Messina was my favorite or my least favorite thing about him, which his, his stretch move, the, which <laughs> I called the goddamn drinking bird, because it reminded <laughs> me of one of those like drinking bird uh, toys with no mm-hmm. liquid at the bottom and just kind of, just like, that, what's the purpose of that ridiculous bow? <laughs> I, I just never understood it. It drove me nuts. Uh, unfortunately, I, he was retired by the time I got in, you know, to inside the Yankee clubhouse, so I never got to ask him. Uh, I would love to ask him someday, and I know, I uh, you know, whatever. Uh, well, if I ever, if if I'm ever on a Hall of Fame conference call with him, I will ask him that. <laughs> I always enjoyed his responses to to terrible questions from writers as well. He was one of those one of those writers who would basic or one of those players who would just sort of say that a question was stupid and and mm-hmm. not and not answer most uh, definitely 
All right. Uh, well, we thank you for, for fitting us in at the end of your, your gauntlet here. Always um, for you guys. Always yeah. a pleasure. And thanks for all your work on this subject. And we, we hope that you can get some rest now and, and return to writing about other things for a while. I certainly <laughs> hope so. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Although uh, you do have another healthy piece going up tomorrow or today, if you're listening on Thursday, looking at, at 2015 candidates. And you can find that and Jay's other baseball writing at mlb.si.com. Uh, you can see him regularly on Clubhouse Confidential on MLB Network and find him on Twitter at J underscore Jaffe. Uh, so thanks a lot, Jay. Thank you, guys. All right. Feels like we're talking to an accountant on April 16th. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's about how I feel.